The Boundless Pursuit Podcast is proudly sponsored by Built Wild DNA. Fuel your day on the water in a constructive and healthy way. Energy and fitness supplements designed with the outdoorsman in mind. Get your physicality in line with your mentality and maximize your time on the water. Use promo code BOUNDLESSPURSUIT for 10% off of your next order at BuiltWildDNA.com. Welcome to Boundless Pursuit, a weekly podcast providing motivation, entertainment, and education to anglers and outdoorsmen. I hope that the stories you'll find here will encourage you to chase your passion more fervently, to open your mind to new opportunities and perspectives. Your engagement and feedback is critical to the growth of this show, and I would love to hear your suggestions on topics or potential guests. You can reach me at boundlesspursuitfishing at gmail.com or at my website, www.boundless-pursuit.com. That's where you'll find all related articles, media, and merchandise. Please remember, the show will gain traction from your support. Be sure to like, comment, and share this podcast to your friends and connections. I'm your host, David Graham. Now let's get on to today's episode. As some know, Boundless Pursuit started as a blog that I wrote in 2011, but it wasn't yet its own thing, and I had not yet built my own website, and social media just wasn't the monster that it is today. Boundless Pursuit was part of fishingheadquarters.com, where I contributed to an e-magazine that I think was way ahead of its time, and that was created by my good friend and today's guest, Andrew Ragus. And Ragus and I have worked together on various forms of fishing media for years. He's a talented web developer and media creator and a very talented fisherman out of the Midwest. And while Andrew's specialty is monstrous smallmouth bass, make no mistake, he's a multi-species angler who takes a very scientific and organized approach to his fishing. Showcased on his website, northwoodsbass.com, Andrew does seminars and speaking engagements, online courses, and runs a guide service in the Northwoods regions for giant smallies and muskie. The dude catches some absolute gigantic smallmouth bass. And we took time during this conversation to catch up on our history, discuss how fishing media has evolved, and just talk fishing tactics. This is my good buddy, Andrew Ragus of NorthwoodsBass.com. Well, hopefully we don't get thrown off our flow too much, but, uh, but anyway, yeah. man, glad I got you on here. It's been a Thank long you. time in the making. Um, matter of fact, anybody that's listening, the very name Boundless Pursuit started between you and I on your format because we go way, way back. Maybe even when I think I, I think we were both still maybe even in college when we first yep. started talking like yep. back in the we were collaborating a good 10, 15 years ago. And that's yeah. when it started through fishing headquarters online magazine that's right so So i was like like, uh, yeah around 2010 through like well when i stopped doing it it was 2015 i was i was mm -hmm. getting burnt out with it yeah constant editing and putting it all together the big publication but yeah i gave you a space on my domain and through the Uh website and that's that's when your blog was born yeah, that was a lot of fun, dude. Like, and you were, that was a weird time, I think, in like fishing media time because I, like, yeah, you... it was, yeah, I, like 
where I know what you're going to say. And what I was going to say is like, it was a, it was an odd trans transitional time. Like the YouTube was just starting to grow. Like that's when all the YouTubers and Instagrammers started coming on, you know, the mid, mid 2010. So around 2015, uh, digital publications and magazines, you know, a lot of magazines, even nowadays, they're, they're just, they're, they're getting, they're going extinct. Oh yeah. Publishing industry is totally extinct. Yep. So everyone who's still surviving, they're doing the all online digital format. Like what I attempted some, Mm -hmm. You know, ten years ago almost, and uh, you know that that's that's the landscape right now. And you know, when when we did our gig, that's when magazines were already getting extinct. Yeah, and everyone everyone became a YouTube sensation and fishing superstar then, and that's how a lot of folks got elevated through social media. Yeah, definitely. But you that and was... I, you and I, we did we did things our own way, the old fashioned way, and we did it our way. You know, totally different. Right. We're not into, we're not into Instagramming and uh, YouTubing, really. Yeah, I'll do the Instagram thing because it's like you know anybody can put some pictures up. YouTube yeah. is YouTube. Almost, uh, I played around with making some little videos. I'm like, I don't know, man. I just I don't have time for this. Like when YouTube started, I used to do a bunch of uh, video logs. Like, mm-hmm. I don't even know what they were called back then, 10, 15 years ago. But I used to do a lot of my fishing solo by myself. So I would document a full day on the water as it is in my boat. Um, just putting each day's documentation of fish catches together. It was strenuous work. And then I remember back in like 2014, 2015, I had to retire. I got so tired of having to come home every day after a long, strenuous day on the water. Every night, I would be up till 1 or 2 a.m. trying to splice together a bunch of video clips of mm-hmm. fish that I caught, putting it together, then exporting it out onto YouTube the next morning, and then having to repeat that process over again the next day. So I got burnt out doing that. And then another thing that started happening was a lot of spot hawking through YouTube. That's, oh God! That's yeah. something that plagues a lot of anglers uh, nowadays when they document a lot of things on YouTube. You know, people can easily pick apart backgrounds. They'll figure out what what bodies yep. of water you're at. I can do that very well just by watching an actual television program. Especially if they throw a drone. Yeah. yeah, if they throw yeah. a drone in the air, you can forget about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like doing drones, showcasing boat landings, any landmarks that yep. might be noticeable, or just revealing. Where, for instance, in Wisconsin, are you at? You know, what county? That's just a dead giveaway. And unfortunately, I I was a recipient of a lot of that. And then I just I had to stop. But yeah, in I think recent I'm, years, I've only had like, one kind of weird one happen to me, like in person. And it was back in like 2012, maybe. Yeah. I, and I guess this probably wasn't related to YouTube. It may have just been photos because you can do the same thing with some photos, you know, back then. Um, you know, I don't know. You just, you don't, you didn't think about that. I didn't think like even back in YouTube, I think my earliest YouTube video is like 2007. Of course, it's like a clip of like a, me releasing a gar or something. Yeah. And the video's had, probably all grainy and pixelated. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> and then I made a couple where there was like a little music montage and it was just like a five minute clip that I could like share with my friend. I had no idea that it was something that could even like the idea that that's something that could make money was never yeah. even a thought. Yeah, but I've always been so pessimistic about like the the possibility of those things working. I had never even 
would have even invested the time to do it anyway. But um, yeah, I had one yeah. weird one one time that kind of like got to a point where it's like, all right, I got to start being smarter and safer with my photos. And me and my brother were at the Red River fishing for alligator gar. And like we were in a spot no one like ever went to. It was so hard to even get in there. It was, it yeah. was, like a, it was a lot of work just to make it in there. I recall and, reading your stories about accessing and what yeah. you did. And yeah. so one day this guy pulls up like on this bluff. It's like a cliff that goes down to the mm -hmm. water. And like we used to like rappel down that thing. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what is this guy doing? And then he gets out of his car, opens up like the back of it, pulls out a box and pulls out an inflatable boat and inflates it, drops it down the cliff. And then it comes down. I'm like, oh, no, somebody's here. And he had like big rods. I'm like, oh, man, hopefully he's just catfishing. Then he came around the corner and he pulled up to us and he goes, are you David Graham? I'm like, what oh, the hell? No yeah. And I was like, uh, yeah. And he's and he just goes, <laughs> yes. He said, yes. And he put his You're hand like that. Celebrity, dude. I'm like, what the hell's happening? And he's like, I knew it. He said, yes, I knew it. He's like, man, I saw your pictures online of the alligator guard. I saw the rocks in the background, and I, I like looked at the, uh, I looked at the shadows in the background. I don't know. He says, said, I mean, he was very he, upright and honest. Up on, and yeah, matched it I'm all like, up on Google I'm like, dude, Earth. how did you do that? Rocks, yeah, dirt, shadows. Yeah, I'm like, oh my gosh, this isn't good. But anyway, yeah, people will go to extremes. That was a while. And the funny thing is, I only fish that spot like once or twice a year. So the odds that we would like be there at the same time on the same day, astronomical. So yeah, insane. But yeah, man, those fishing headquarters days, that was a lot of fun for me. Like, I thought it that was. was like, that was like right at the tail end of when like fishing media was still like pure and like yeah. in, there's still forums out there. Like, there was still a little bit of engagement on like the forum days where. I don't know, man. It seemed like the people you encountered on the internet with regards to fishing were like in it for more of the right reasons. And then slowly but surely yeah. at the inception of Instagram and the, the growth yeah, of face, Facebook. I want to say, I want to add Facebook. Like, Facebook. I, yep. I think, you know, we grew up with Facebook, you know, back in the day when it was just accessible to college. College guys. Students. Yeah. Yeah, that was us. Like we were, we yeah. were the, the, the poster children of Facebook back uh -huh. in the mid 2000s. So like once it opened up to every single adult yeah. and person in the world, then that was that I believe around then that was the whole downfall of yep. the forum age when we were on our that was specialized so... discussion boards. Yeah. Yeah. And now now you go to you try to access websites like riversmallies.com or, you know, any any other type of major former uh, fishing forum. But they're no longer around. There's, yeah, there may be there may as well be like a digital yeah. like tumbleweed going across the yeah. screen it's sad like some of my favorite yeah. ones they're even still out there it's like ah man this place used to be the spot but yep but um i felt like you were ahead of your time when it came like that that fishing headquarters magazine you'd done such a good job at like and you were doing it all completely alone like single-handedly yeah. editing putting That's it together it the layout work, i was yeah. like man this dude's really and so and it was cool because you you did that way ahead of your time as well because that was especially during a time where like and nobody's putting a both no in on the no magazine. Even, yeah, back then, no one even tried doing it digitally with like the format, like our, our digitally, no platform. way. Yeah, the digital software and website that we used was Issue, mm -hmm. which now is popular. Everyone uses it yeah. now for everything. And, you know, I, I think like the issue that I had was 
one man show. So I had to put together the outlines, the drafts. I did all the proofreading. Yeah. You wouldn't believe all the proofreading I had to do for your stories, even also yeah. <laughs> for everyone else. And then I'd have to repeat the process then every two to three months. And that just became the biggest drag for me. Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah. But we still have that website online and I still have everything yeah. up online as an archive. So I know I was looking that, at it. I was looking yeah, at it earlier today, actually. <laughs> yeah, fishing-headquarters.com. So I'm I'm still going to have that website up online. And then I know that you and I have talked about ideas. Hey, how can we bring this back? Like, you know, oh, yeah. turn it into some modern age Marvel. But, you know, we still haven't really fully brainstormed about it. So, well, it's, it's something it's, I'll work I mean, on in the future still. That whole like media thing seems like it's like turned into such a spinning cyclone of like the next newest thing coming out. And it's like, I'm at a point now where I, I'm not going to evolve with it. Like, I'm not going to do TikTok. Yeah. I'm not going to no. do whatever the new, there's going to be a new one next month for all I know. I'm like, I'm not doing it. Like, I'll stick with what I'm doing now and, and that'll work for me because I ain't, I am not building new crap. So nowadays, with all these social media platforms, everyone's turning into different outlets for their fishing promotion or promoting of themselves and their accomplishments. All you need still is a website. Mm -hmm. Have a good website. It's always going to be found online. It's the World Wide Web. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's all you need. Really, Man, I've had, I, I have no background at all in that stuff I, but i had yeah. so much fun with like my little website like it's because i can put whatever i want on there video photos podcast i've even got little merchandise on there which you know no one ever yeah. buys anything i buy yeah. my own stuff <laughs> yeah that get my website, discounted rate but um that website you you always continuously add content to it and it becomes yeah. a treasure trove for your readers right. and followers yeah oh man i love it and it's like uh I don't, you know, I've got a couple of my blogs on there now. It's like they're like number one hits with certain topics. Like they're at the top. I'm like, oh man, I feel kind of proud about that. But yeah. that's way more fun than something like Instagram where you can only put a photo yeah. in like a small in a, caption. In a caption. Yeah. yeah and I'm just like, like 500, 500. I'm at a, I'm at a point now where like the Instagram's starting to even slow down for me and I'm just gravitating towards just, I'm going to have fun with my little website here. And like, this is like my fun little, uh, thing to have on the side. But, uh, but you, yeah. what, what's, what's awesome about you is you've kind of, you stayed in it this whole time and like, you've stayed in it during such like tumultuous transitionary period that it's like, um, and, and, and not only stayed in it now, I know that you're even like benefiting from it, like monetarily to the point, like this has become your job. Like it's like you're living. So I was kind of curious, like, you know, I know your history going back to when we were still in school. <laughs> And some of the projects you did in between, but um, you know, I want to know a little bit more now about the NorthwoodsBass.com thing. Um, what what all is mm -hmm. going into that? Some of the I saw like you know the seminars and the webinars, and yeah, you seem like it seems like a very dynamic option for like learning. So tell me a little yeah. bit about that. How did that get started? All right, so I guess it all dates back to me being an angler up in northern Wisconsin. So growing up. I actually used to be more of a panfish and walleye angler, just like everyone else from my region. Because back then, 20 to 30 years ago, like our fisheries were very strong in regards to both and to more multi-species opportunities. But then, you know, fisheries are cyclical. They always change, as you know, David. And then 
you know, I'd, I'd say right at, right at around uh, high school age. So going dating back between 2000 and 2005, that's when my whole philosophy and, you know, me wanting to target more specific fish that changed. So be, going from walleyes and panfish more to bass, that's when I started that conversion. And at that time, you know, 20 years ago, our fisheries up in northern Wisconsin, they were getting more established. They were growing. Um, back in the mid-1990s, a lot of our lakes, they got plagued with rusty crayfish infestation. So what happened then was, you know, other game fish species, they suffered as a result of crayfish just devouring the whole biomass of the lake. But what happened was a lot of lakes, they had some smallmouth back then. So the smallmouth, their numbers, they grew. They took advantage of that new opportunity to feed on an overabundant forage source. And then over the course of the next 20 years, smallmouth kept growing big. Our lakes and fisheries expanded. More bass lakes just somehow showed up over time. And uh, that's, that's really that's... when my whole love, that's when my love for bass just really exploded. And, you know, I'd say, you know, the last 20 years, that's been my primary focus, largemouth and smallmouth. But Smallmouth bass chasing big ones. That's been my serious, true passion for the last several years. And I, I wouldn't change it any other way. Um, and uh, I'd, I'd say Northwoods bass, it really started. I'd, I'd say it, it, it all started way back when, 20 years ago, when my infatuation with smallmouths really began. Around that time, I was already writing articles for publications and then even for our website, Fishing Headquarters. And then um, I, I had the idea, I never actually had the plan to want to even try guiding just because I knew what hassles it would bring, mm -hmm. all the high expenses and operating costs, as well as the headaches of dealing with weather and, and anglers who might not be cut out for that type of a thing uh, yeah. to join me in the boat for. Uh, but I'd say, you know, around 2015, 2016, that's when I really started getting it going. I picked up a lot more customers in the ensuing years. And that's been one of my, one of my uh, secondary gigs. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice little side career that I've been, you know, trying, trying to maintain, keep up with and uh, to continue growing. Yeah. I could see guiding. I don't know. I think if all of your finances kind of hinged upon your success there, that would, I, I just couldn't deal with that type yeah. of, <clears throat> I wouldn't want that pressure yeah. on my fishing. But it, but if it was like a side like source of income, that would be best case scenario. Yeah, yeah. The way I treat fishing, like for work, it's definitely a side job. Like as you know, and like a lot of other people who know me, my primary source of income and my day job is sitting here in my office. I build websites, so that's my primary day job. And me working for myself, it ultimately enables me to fish whenever I want. I can still usually travel whenever I want to, which is a nice thing. And uh, that, you know, the two occupations hand in hand, they work, they work off of each other very well. Yeah. So that's what ultimately gives me that flexibility and that ability to keep fishing and to, you know, pers pursue my passion. So now does that give you the opportunity to almost kind of vet out certain clients? Because I wouldn't, I would want to <laughs> be in position to like, I don't know, I hate to say it. I'd want to be able to like tell certain people no. Cause I would have a fear of people coming in like that are just trying to 
lurch spots like yeah, they're trying to you do know, i don't want to get into too much detail about that but i have had <laughs> folks whose sole intentions were to either hire me to to you know see what specific hot spots i can lead them to oh, i don't doubt that at all and i've had guys who have you know inquired with me wanting to know like what my exact top five bodies of water are so then they can eventually go mm. there and just you know piggyback off that information that I would reveal to them. But folks like that, I, I've never heard from them ever again, just because I never gave them that information that they were seeking out of me. But, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all inclusive to everyone and everyone's skills yeah. and abilities. You know, I, I, I'd say spe there's specific times throughout the year where I will want to cater to guys who are hardcore so for instance, the month of May and then the months of September and October, like the weather can do anything it wants at that time of yeah. year. And that's also the three months out of the year where the biggest fish in each lake, they're making their push to either feed, spawn or winter or do whatever that they want. So, you know, with those three months right there, I want to cater and target, you know, the hardcore angler. Whereas during the summer months, I'm more flexible, laid back. I'm very accommodating of people of all skill levels. And if, even if they want to go dink around, try something new with me, I'm, I'm more than game and willing to do that then. But I've, I've, I have gotten pretty good with, you know, weeding out the unruly type of customer and just, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at interrogating them, seeing what their intentions yeah. are you know, what it is that they hope to accomplish with me. But I also want honesty from them just to make mm -hmm. sure that this is all a good fit. And um, one, like recently uh, for Midwest Outdoors, I'm actually a writer for them. I write monthly columns. So yeah. I put together a piece that got published, surprisingly got published a couple months ago about, you know, checklists. Actually, it was more like a guideline of, you know, about trying to hire the right type of a fishing guide. So I had to, you know, the whole subject matter of that piece was just putting down, you know, expectations from the customer's side and then expectations from the guide's point of view. And then the two of them have to mesh together in order to be compatible. So, you know, a lot of people who inquire with guides, you know, they're, they're not asking the right type of questions that a guide wants to hear. And that's, that's the biggest issue nowadays yeah. with everyone. Well, I think and was, I am not the most perfect guide out there. We're all human. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but we have expectations of the angler himself, just like, you know, they have expectations of us try, trying to produce, to educate and to, de to, to deliver results for them. Right. Yeah, because I thought that like the element of or, you know, the fact that you're guiding for something like, well, I guess smallmouth bass is a different game than like, like largemouth mm -hmm. bass. But I'm like, yeah. I'm just thinking like the demographic of people who are paying to go bass fishing is, uh, it seems like a different challenge. Cause I would think that you'd maybe potentially run into more, I don't want to say like know-it-alls, but you know, uh, you know, people are able to, you know, go bass fishing in, in like their backyard, but I would imagine they're looking for a, a higher caliber of yeah, fish. Like, yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good thought and question. So like the people who want, smallmouth bass like they're either looking for a destination trip which is where i'm located mm -hmm. or they want like the opportunity to tangle with four and five pounders just because big fish don't live everywhere yeah yes yeah. that's usually everyone's goal with with that uh but you know if if i had to target four and five pounders every day then then that pressure's on me then because they don't jump into the boat daily unfortunately now do you prefer i don't know maybe every 
things different. I would, I was just, I'm always curious. Like I, I love knowing the mindset of guides. Do you prefer somebody that's more of a novice or I guess maybe more open to coaching, or do you prefer somebody that at least you can take more of a hands-off approach because they already kind of know what they're doing? Or is there like a I, sweet spot in the middle? Because if they're yeah. too much of a know-it-all, they just want you to shut up and, and chauffeur them around. Yeah, so my perfect angler in the boat is one who's going to either listen and take all the advice that I'm going to give them. Um, like the biggest thing that I try to do daily, like when we're on a specific spot, we pull up to an area that we're going to target. I The first things I tell people, we got to cast in this direction. You'll see it on the side imaging screen that's down below by their feet because I keep a unit up at the bow of the boat where my customers fish from, and I've got screens on my back end of the boat. So, like, you know, we pull up to a spot. I instruct, hey, you got to go out like 50 feet to the right. I want you to present this specific bait. I'll give lure recommendations, stuff that mm -hmm. I would throw. Um, so I want guys, ideally, who are willing to listen but also if they're open-minded. So say my strategy that I told them to do sucks and it's not producing, I want the anglers to also get creative for themselves. You know, we, the ideal customer and bow partner that I like, you know, you can bounce ideas off of each other. You can learn yeah. from one another too, because I don't know everything about these fish. You know, they perplex me as much as everyone else still. Um, we're not fish. We don't think like fish, but um, you know, that's, that's just the way it rolls, but I have had guys on the other hand who have been very stubborn, you know, I'm, I'm in the back of the boat, I'm fishing, I'm tinkering from the back end of the boat. I'm trying different presentations while my anglers up at the bow, they're throwing sure. the fish catchers. So all the baits that the front end of the boat gets, you know, all the baits that the front end of the boat is throwing, those are going to be your high, higher producing baits that catch all the fish. Whereas me in the back, I'm tinkering, I'm dicking around, throwing all kinds of weird shit. Yeah. You know, and, and there, there's instances where I'm, I'm suddenly, I'm hitting hot streaks. I, I find something that's working. I catch big fish repeatedly on whatever it is I'm doing. The anglers up front, they're not catching fish anymore. I've had guys that are, have been too stubborn to make that adjustment like I did. You know, I offer them baits that, hey, this is working. Throw this, you know, fish it the way I am they refuse it, you know, so I, I can't help them. You know, I can, well, I can show people what to do, tell them how to do it, but you know, I, I can't, I can't make people catch fish. I, I think if you get to the point where you're literally not like, you're literally showing them the success, like you're catching the fish yeah. and they still don't want to. I'm listen. exemplifying. I'm demonstrating it to them. Yeah. I'm instructing. That's <laughs> right. Job. It's what yeah. I think it's one thing to like make a recommendation. It's another thing to <laughs> put it into action and catch one right in front of them. Right, and then they right. still not listen, but it's, uh, I just know like that culture of fishing so much more competitive that I was, I was always curious, like, because like, uh, bass guiding is real big where I'm at on like Okeechobee. You got a lot of guys that like, that's what I, they do. Yeah. Those big waters down South. I couldn't do it. I'm, unless you're like a touring pro and you know, the ins and outs of those waters, I couldn't do it. Where, a lot of them are I'm just lucky. shiner. China yeah, fishing, yeah. But. where I'm, what I'm, where I'm very lucky in regards to guiding up north in Wisconsin, we have hundreds of thousands of lakes to pick and choose from. So, mm. with me being a guide, like I, I know the fine, you know, I know the intricacies of a lot of lakes and how fish respond to them or respond in them on certain days, you know, yeah. certain weather conditions too. So that's one of the things that I really take a lot of pride in. You know, just knowing the intricacies of the fish that inhabit the lake, how the lake reacts to conditions, weather. 
everything and you know you put the puzzle pieces together i'm very confident that most days of the week i can select the right type of water to be on that caters to the anglers that i have and to what our motivation for that day is so down south if you're on if you're on those big waters big massive reservoirs you really don't have that luxury like i've got with yeah. you know, being able to pick multiple lakes per day to fish based on you know my yeah. anglers and <laughs> what we feel like doing that day yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. It's, it's for me with your stuff, it's those giant small mouth. Like, <laughs> I, like for years I've marveled over the small mouth you catch and it's like, well, really long overdue for making that trip for myself. And people get this idea that I don't like to catch bass. Like I love bass fishing. I like carve out parts of the year every year to go bass fishing, even around mm -hmm. here. But it's been years since I've been able to go smallmouth fishing. But all my experience with smallmouth has been in rivers and in creeks, like in, in moving water. But yep. you pulling those giant monstrous fish out of lakes has always been interesting to me because I've always thought of a smallmouth as being a river, like a river dwelling fish. So I was curious, like, how do you pattern that? I mean, are they the kind of fish that's like migratory and moving within a lake system? Or, or do you have like areas that you know that will... Like, are the fish kind of like, I don't know if they set, have like a territorial area that they're typically always in. I yeah, mean, how no, does a smallmouth in a lake behave as compared to like the, what I'm used to in like the Ozarks in so, rivers and streams? So I don't know if you want me to differentiate, you know, between, you know, the characteristics and behavior of a river fish versus a lake fish, but it all relates to location. So as you know, smallmouth and rivers and streams, they will migrate for several miles as long as there's no barriers in place. So what we found in Wisconsin, what biologists have found, you remove dams, smallmouth, they can migrate, you know, 50 to 80 miles, no problem from one season to another as it relates to feeding and spawning and then overwintering. Yeah. Um, whereas in lakes, um, the migrations in lakes are less distinct as what we see on river systems but it all relates to location. Location precedes everything in my boat when we're on the lake. So for instance, um, I guess the easiest way to describe it is smallmouth. They're gonna adjust their positions within the lake based on the season. Also factoring in food availability, water temperatures, and you know, I guess overwintering also, just because the growing season up north, it's only five to six months long. So for half the year, those fish are living underneath ice. So um, the best way to, to describe a lake migration is the way I like to start this phase and pattern and dissecting is where the smallmouth are overwintering. That's usually the first thing you need to look at on a lake. So by late October, November, that's when smallmouth are going to be moving into their wintering holes. They're going to be setting up shop there for the next five to six months. Um, not every lake behaves the same way. So like a wintering yeah. site on a lake, it can be like a patch of sand grass and 25 feet of water. Whereas on other lakes, it could be a hole that's, you know, 30 feet deep with different bottom composition or, you know, rock boulder, sand, muck, mud, you know, a variety of underwater, um, just underwater compositions. Um, so those smallmouth, they're going to be down deep five or six months out of the year, then once the ice melts, that's when you do start seeing that spring migration. So what happens on smallmouth on every lake, they leave their wintering sites. They Smallmouth do school in lakes. So they travel in packs for mm -hmm. feeding, for migration, and then for you know their, their biological needs, whether it be wintering or spawning or doing whatever. 
Um, so once the ice melts, fish, they're using the contours down below along the bottom as their migrational routes from moving from deep water into intermediate depth, mid-range, um, where they're going to be situated at for staging or for feeding. Yeah. And then once the timing is right later in the spring, once the water temperature hits a certain threshold, those fish then will be infiltrating through the shallows where they're either going to be feeding or setting up uh, spawning sites then uh, to reproduce. And then uh, during summer months, fish, they'll disperse back throughout, you know, they'll disperse all throughout the lake. Then uh, usually at that point in the year, we're targeting structure. Um, smallmouth are attracted to structure, just like walleyes and a lot of other big game fish are. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, in the fall months, there's going to be a movement of fish. They'll, they'll be coming back in towards the shallows to feed again for one last time in the year. And then once you're in October, the lakes are finally turning over. After fall turnover, that's when those fish are down deep again. So that's really the whole cycle of smallmouth movements and migrations as it occurs on lakes. So, you know, on lakes, fish don't have to travel super far. A wintering site is going to be anywhere within range of spawning sites in spring. So it could only be a difference of a couple hundred yards. Whereas on river systems, smallmouth, they'll travel for miles between yeah. you know, spawning areas that are suitable for them in spring to overwintering locations which would be downriver somewhere so it's it's interesting to me all like the patterns you have to sort of internalize and log yeah. do you keep any kind of like physical because i know you said that each lake <laughs> is different from one another but maybe each lake is always the same as like individually each year do you keep like a log oh yeah, there you so go funny, <laughs> blow funny some dust this. off of that thing <laughs> yeah so funny you mentioned this so with all my a lot of my guys who you know guide customers and readers and followers i've often talked about the playbook play, the yeah. playbook of bass yeah so crack it open zoom funny, in yeah so like what's funny <laughs> about this i've got like all my article outlines things that i figured out over the years screenshot you know, screenshot got, yeah i've got checklists <laughs> i even keep some lake maps in here but what yeah. i what i've always liked to do and my log is really you know it's very simplified kind of old school and ghetto but what i do is i have a section dedicated so like I'll, I'll dedicate it to my, like my log of lakes. So what I do, I list the date that I'm on the water. I'll also indicate what lakes we fished that day. And yeah. then I'll put a rating next to that date and lake, you know, I'll, I'll rate it on a scale of a plus to an F minus that tells me, okay, we had a good day on that day on this lake. And that's what we caught. So I've been doing this, you know, just, it, it keeps me, it keeps me, you know, mentally, yeah. Mentally fresh. You know, I can remember specific dates when we visited a certain lake. And then that usually helps me pattern right you know, when I when I should be visiting that water, you know, later on in the year. Uh, but you know, I've been doing this since around 2010. So for the last 13 years, you know, I've got I got dates, you know, several yeah. pages of them <laughs> that just helps keep me, you know, me mentally fresh and prepared and and hopefully it'll help me make a, a, a good educated and well cal calculated decision then for later oh, in the year. I admire the uh like dedication to like you know, I don't know, preserving the details and like yeah, you know, I think if you're gonna be effective as like a guide or or whatever, you, you kind of have to have that mentality where you're 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 yeah, documenting. And, and you know what's funny about that? Growing up, I never really paid attention or had a good eye for detail or the attentiveness yeah. for it, but you know, just fishing with 
a lot of good friends and other guides whom I'm good buddies with, you know, they taught me like the fundamentals and the importance of being detail oriented, Mm -hmm. you know, keeping a log, you know, trying to remember certain patterns as they happen and then figuring out why did a certain, why did that fish want to bite my lure and what makes this spot so special? So besides the catch itself, making a catch, you have to figure out and analyze, all right, why did I catch this fish and why is that fish utilizing this area at this specific time that I'm on that spot. So stuff like that, I always want to pay attention to it, figure it out. And from there, it just, it turns into a science. That's kind of how I approach my game with big smallies. Well, that's the funny thing is like, you can have a great day on one day under certain conditions, like specific conditions. And then like, you know, a year later, double back and have the exact same conditions. You have to wait 12 full months to see if there's actually a pattern to it. And then 12 more months and really like, so it's a right. long-term like investment of like yeah. detailed documenting before you can even begin yeah, to see if there's a real yeah. trend. Yeah, no, and that's that's exactly accurate. So like I I try to make those annual connections every spring. You know, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, with the fish spawning in certain areas and specific areas of a lake, I try to apply that knowledge into every new water body that I fish. You know, that time of year. So for the month of May. And then also I'm making similar findings when I'm fishing late season. So the month of October into, you know, late in October, once, once those fish are wintering, I'm learning new shit every year Uh, Things that I never thought of that. I just somehow figured it out while on the water and time is obviously the best investment uh, that any angler can have. So, you know, if you think, you know, everything you don't, you keep fishing, you repeat the process every single year. It turns into a tradition and you're going to learn all sorts of new things that you never thought were in existence. And that's, that's usually what happens, you know, trying to, trying to analyze it and make that process repeat itself every year. There's, there's a lot of truth and accuracy to that. Oh, a hundred percent. So you'd mentioned earlier and I wanted to like, I, I'm backtracking just a little bit here where it was actually, I don't know, the a, a, like a surge in like the prevalence in a certain type of crayfish that set off this, like, I don't know, this growth in the population of, you know, the smallmouth, which, you know, obviously I guess that's because they came in eating them all. But yep. what, I mean, is this crayfish, is this like a, not like a native species of crayfish? It just seems weird to me that something, especially if it naturally exists, would just all of a sudden proliferate like that. I'm, yeah, I'm like, so, I wonder so... what would trigger that. So the crayfish itself is native to the Ohio River drainage, yeah. rusty crayfish. So Southern Ohio, Northern Kentucky range. Um, so back in the day, uh, what, what happened was a lot of bait shops and traveling anglers, they were using those crayfish for live bait. And uh, back mm. then, you know, releasing your critters into the lake or disposing them onto shore, that, that was the process that a lot of anglers did. So these crayfish, you know, they, they can, they can be transported from one body of water to another. Uh, back in the day, they were popular bait. You know, we didn't know mm-hmm. it at the time and, uh, that's what happened. So these, these critters, they, uh, got into our lakes invasive aquatic invasive species, AIS. Okay. That's, that's what they are. Um, they're not native to the North and, uh, the problem of rusty crayfish, it's, it's all throughout the great lakes range. Uh, Northwest Ontario, a lot of those lakes are getting hit and plagued by it right now. But uh, what happened was um, those those rusty crayfish, they expanded their numbers in a lot of inland lakes of Wisconsin. Um, this all started in like the late 1980s, all through the 1990s and into the early 2000s. And um, as a lot of those lakes 
rusty crayfish, what they do, they'll boot out all of the other native species of crayfish. And what they're also going to do a lot of is uh, stir up the bottom. They eat weeds like crazy. They just chop them up all day long. Yeah. And uh, what happened was with all that cover leaving the lake, a whole mess of things happened. So other game fish species, they started to experience poor spawning, um, poor spawns, poor recruitment of fry surviving into adulthood. And then another thing that's, that was happening also back then and still happens now is the removal of other game fish species. So you got a combination of all that happening along with rusty crayfish eating out the whole lakes. That just gave smallmouth and a lot of other bass the opportunity to expand their numbers on lakes. So okay. uh, once smallmouth numbers were expanding, those smallmouth, they were targeting crayfish like crazy. And that's what ultimately helped a lot of the fish that I catch achieve those four to six pound statuses. Uh, but right now, um, a lot of our lakes, they've recovered back to normal pretty much. So rusty crayfish numbers, they're dwindling and on the decline. So smallmouth now, the ones that we're catching and targeting, they're actually focusing more on bait fish now for their primary prey. So yellow perch, cisco, smelt, yeah. um, a lot of pelagic species now. That, so that's, because that's kind of what I was going to ask next. Is like, Does that sort of dictate that you're using a lot of crawfish patterns? Or are they more... Yeah swim bait yeah, so like on open lakes water that, on, yeah so like on on specific lakes that have just a high crayfish forage whether it's native species of crayfish or rusty species of crayfish um we're we're, we're focusing on crayfish imitating baits always yeah. and then there's lakes where that you know lakes that have very little crayfish remaining in them and uh on those lakes it's all bait fish oriented oriented presentations then so um, that, that's, that's what happened. And then going back to me explaining how lakes and fisheries are cyclical, it's the same thing with these crayfish. So their numbers peaked 20 plus years ago. Now their numbers are declining and lakes are returning to their former glory now, which is nice. But fun, funny thing about rusty crayfish. So I got a story. Um, so if you didn't think rusty crayfish are voracious eaters and will not tear up weeds and plants, um, they do. Um, I've done a couple trips on Lake of the Woods and Rainy Lake. Um, last time I was there was in 2017. And right before our eyes, we're, fish, we're, we're fishing shallow water, uh, pencil reed areas. And before our eyes, we saw stems and stalks getting chopped up. You know, they're standing <laughs> upright one moment. Just going down. <laughs> yeah. They fall into the water like, what the hell happened here? What's going on? And then that that's the result of rusty crayfish eating out all the plant life. Oh it's, my happening. it's happening on Rainy Lake and Lake of the Woods as we speak. So a lot of cabbage beds and pencil reeds that those two lakes had, you know, 10 years ago, those are leaving, you know, thanks to rusty crayfish. Have like state, I don't know what you would call it, like agencies of some sort not picked up on like the effectiveness of utilizing smallmouth bass to combat that or are oh, they, they have they, they have so back when rusty crayfish was first becoming a problem in wisconsin that's when they started to enact better regulations to protect smallmouth bass because dnr the dnr for us they they realized all right these fish are going to actually help us eradicate crayfish and yeah. that's what happened so you know, smallmouth doing their job in conjunction with the DNR setting up traps throughout the lakes that that did a great number of uh, rusty crayfish reduction. Yeah, because I don't the know if they were even going to be well, probably wasn't necessary to, to stock more of them. It was just more necessary to protect the ones that were already there. But yeah, 
Yeah, and then and then even on some lakes that 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 exploded in rusty crayfish, even on some lakes there were never smallmouth in them. So what the DNR did do to some okay. lakes that are more private and you know that had zero smallmouth in them, they 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 made introductory stockings of smallmouth into those lakes, and now those populations are flourishing. Those bass populations now. Yeah, that's that's pretty. Those kind of things always cool fascinate off. me. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so I had to like double back and figure that one out. But, you know, I know um, you lean kind of heavy into the smallmouth thing and it's probably easy to get marked as like a bass guy or a smallmouth guy. But I also know you yeah. vent you ventured away from that quite a bit. Like, I don't want to sell you short as, you know, uh, uh, oh, there's nothing wrong with being a specialist, but I'm saying I know you've you've done the yeah, multi-species I'm, thing. I am, even though it's my specialty, I don't want to consider myself as like an elitist or like being yeah. a one-dimensional angler like we've talked about this like i'm i appreciate every single species of fish so i am i am non-discriminatory to any species in particular if i had access to big channel cats or blue cats that's what i would be fishing for if i didn't have to travel far for anything that's mm -hmm. usually what my priorities and what my preference will be uh, but in recent years you know i've gotten back into walleyes more I love targeting big pike if there's an opportunity for it locally or if I have to travel. Yeah. And also I love musky fishing. The musky, if, if yeah. A, yeah, on, on days where I don't have to be responsible for other anglers or if I'm free, if I have, have any free moments or a day off, chances are, you know, I'd say 80% of the time, if I have to pick and choose between going bass fishing by myself or go musky fishing, whether it's by myself or with a partner, we're going musky fishing. There's just, there's just a huge yeah. adrenaline rush. And I actually find musky fishing to be far more stimulating and uh, less stressful than bass fishing. I don't know why it's so less stressful, but I just appreciate casting at nothing almost. And right. you know, once you, when most, most hits that you get from a musk, it's going to be either totally unexpected or it's just, you know, that there's a fish using the spot, but you just don't know when it's going to hit really. So I that, think that's, that's really the allure and draw for me. Yeah, that's probably what puts the mind at ease when you go musky fishing. You you've already you're already at peace with the fact you're going to have to work for it. Whereas like yeah. maybe on a on a day of bass fishing, everything feels right and there's no reason they shouldn't be biting and it doesn't happen. So then you're like yeah. then the stress of like second guessing yourself and wondering what you're doing wrong starts to creep yeah. in. Yeah. But um, and man, when, the when there's like, you're not going to catch a muskie every day of the week. That's a proven fact. But like, even on days where I don't catch a muskie, I am not discouraged. Whereas we've yeah. had days where the bass fishing totally sucked and we bombed out there. You return home to the cabin after a day on the water like that. You, you, you don't you, like you go through all your thoughts and you can't figure yeah. <laughs> out why did those fish not bite? You know, it's very discouraging. What you go back to, to the old like, the old notebook yeah. over there. Like, what yeah, the yeah. hell? I, I go back to the notebook. I'll, <laughs> I'll ask my friends, like, hey, what did we do wrong? What do you think I did wrong? You know, it's 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 funny. Like, I get more discouraged and pissed off about not catching bass when conditions are right or when they're poor mm -hmm. versus muskies. Like, I don't know. It's it's one of those things. Yeah, the musky thing, obviously, as you know, we've spoken about it. That's one that like. I don't know, man. I'm like long overdue for getting that one done. Um, I still don't know if that's going to happen even this year, but I feel like in the next couple of years, like maybe the next two years, I like, I've got to make that one happen. So I love looking at your posts every time. So what is like musky season? Like at, it, like at what point do you kind of put down the bass rods and start focusing on that? Or so, do you really, so are, or are they in conjunction with each other? Is it? 
Well, where I'm at in Wisconsin, muskies are very strictly managed, but you know, the whole state of Wisconsin is turning far more liberal than it should be. So they're thinking about making muskies open a catch and release only in the spring now, which I'm not in agreement with because uh-huh. you want to protect the state fish. Like they are spawning still on very specific waters. You want to protect your state fish that makes all the money for you. But, um, you know, right now with, I guess the muskie season right now, it opens up for any type of catch and release fishing in general, uh, last Saturday in May. And it stays open now up until the 31st of December. Uh, but once the lakes get all ice covered, ice fishing for muskies isn't allowed. But if you have any, any open water opportunities, whether it's on a river system or places that are ice free, you can still continue to fish for them. Um, why, why when summer. there's ice, is there like a mortality, like, so I'm not too much into the politicking of it, nor know, you know, what the data or reasoning is behind it, but I'm pretty certain that it has to do with handling and trying to drag a, you know, a 30 pound fish through an ice hole. It could be one of with those the little bitty where, rods and stuff. Yeah. I yeah, guess you're having a yeah, attack. You don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to protect that fish and, you know, not, not, yeah. you know, harm it in any way, but like to answer your, your your question specifically, like I'm geared for bass pretty much every day of the week. So like, you know, I, if, if there's a specific time of year that I really want to get out for muskies, it's going to be from mid June up until the first few days of July. Um, that's going to be the post spawn window. And then usually by the starting dates of July, all the lakes that enters into the summer peak period. So all the weed growth is finally fully bloomed. Um, the, the lakes are established well for summer. So I have found a very nice big fish window then late in June into early July. Um, I, I really hate fishing for muskies in July and August just because the water temps, they can get hot. And then we have to deal with a lot of hot days. So your windows are just going to be at odd hours of the day, you know, early yeah. or late in the day or overnight. I'd rather be not fishing at those times. And then um, I would say the month of actually end of August, you know, you've got that end of summer to early fall transition when things start cooling down. Finally, it can be a very good time. And then all, the entire month of September and then into October. And then some years, if, uh, you know, the ice ice um, buildup is going to be late in the year, first ice, um, we have opportunities in November into, into mid-month. Yeah. So yeah if that's... I'm not bass fishing, that's when I'm in a muskie. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of those species that like I've I've gone mus- musky fishing I think five times six times in Missouri of all places a lot yeah. of people like Missouri yeah there was one spot it was like at the time when I was living in Arkansas it was like a th- <clears throat> maybe a three hour drive and it had musky in this kind of small lake and uh, man that's one of those fish and maybe it's just because I'm inexperienced with them but there's some there's certain species out there like when you see them it like I don't want to sound like I'm a scaredy pat scat scared a cat but it's like it's spooky like yeah. I, I i'd see them i'm like oh my gosh this thing's so cool yeah, they exist yeah <laughs> it's one of those and, uh, feelings i saw them yeah. every time that i went i went five different times it was at least five times and i saw them every time i went but i only had one solid like like actual strike on a lure every other time they just i didn't know what i was doing complete idiot yeah like I'd have them follow and then like I'd lose all composure, not know what I'm doing. Like I just I I get caught up in just wanting to see the fish and like you know, yeah, not do that, what I'm supposed that, to do. The muskies in particular, you have to really trigger them. Get you gotta get their attention first and yeah. foremost. Get their attention, piss them off, 
and then you got to trigger them into striking. But if you don't do either of the three, you know, you'll get lucky and you'll just get hit at random. And that happens. Yeah. And that's very common. Yeah. I had a pretty funny encounter with one. It actually was the first one I ever saw. I was, uh, you know, it was, it was like a kind of a windy day and I'd got blown off into this sort of like submerged thicket of limbs like my boat was just wedged in there so i yeah. started doing a little bit of rigging putting a few lures on and i just see something out of the corner of my eye and i look over there's one swimming right past the boat it was like a freaking yeah. i mean it's probably I've, a four I've, I've had that happen many times on a lot of lakes i'm like oh my gosh i like sorry they, trying just, to they don't they don't muskies when, when they're cruising past you they don't give a shit yeah if you're over them or near them it, 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 i mean that thing was within <laughs> five so feet of the boat yeah it just went yeah they're just, they're so disengaged they just cruise <laughs> on by minding their own business they don't care that you're there yeah that's, that's actually kind of funny when it does happen yeah, such an awesome species of fish. Now, are you guiding for those two, or is that just kind of one of those no, things? That's I a don't want to. Yeah. No, that's what really expert and professional anglers are for. So, I, I don't want to guide muskies. Because uh, I was um, going to say, I, I was like, bass, if I had any bass angler like a repeat or like a good buddy of mine who's like, hey, instead of bass, let's go try for muskie. I'm like, okay, if I know they yeah. can fish well and they can handle it and they're open to it, then I, I have no problem it's doing that. Musky guiding seems like one of those things. That's like that's hard, man. That that'd be like the equivalent of like like guiding somebody for a fly caught permit down here. Yeah, it's yeah, like the, musky, the chance of guiding, failure is so great. Like yeah, musky guiding, like to be really good at it and to have results, you have to fish during windows. You know, so yeah. Even even if the trip is being advertised as an eight to 10 hour full day trip, like most serious musky guides, they're going to want you to commit to like an all day marathon, you know, that some people operate that way, but other guys, you know, they're only going to schedule trips and want to really target them during specific windows as it relates to the moon or time of day too. So yeah, now, it's, it's, it's tough. Work. Have you, uh, have you cracked that, that coveted 50 inch mark yet? Yeah, so I, I had it happen once. Well, the I, I got two fish of that caliber. I've actually got four of them, but two yeah. of them, <laughs> two of them fell like within an inch short. And then I've got one that surpassed the 50 inch range. So I got I guess I got like four of them that are like borderline on it. But uh back in 2010, I caught my first 50. It was a 51 and a half. Funny, funny story about how that happened. It was kind of like a team effort with my partner in the boat. Like back then, um, like what's legal in Wisconsin is live bait fishing. So you can fish with multiple rods in your boat. You can okay. deploy a live bait rod, have it dangle along the side of the boat and have that going while you're casting. Um, at the and time, now that that's so like you bring the fish to you and then it sees yeah, the can. bait maybe. You okay. Can. Yeah. Yeah. You that's can. cool. That's creative. If it, yeah. If it follows your artificial, it can, you know, if it spots the bait that's deployed down there, you know, yeah. it, it might hit, there's a good probability for it. But you know, back then 2010, I wasn't really much into live bait fishing at that time. Like I am now uh, late in the season uh, when we can do it. But you know, while casting at the time, I, I we were fishing out of a 16 foot boat with me and my buddy. You know, it's a small boat. We had one rod pegged in the back end of the boat. And, you know, what, what I always determine with my partners and with me is like, all right, I'll give you the option. Since you're going to be fishing next to the rod, you can set the hook into that fish first. Or if you want to just take turns setting the hook into whatever happens, you know, we'll do that. So he ultimately decided with me, hey, you know, I'm the I'm the I'm the chief. I'll take the whatever first hooks that comes our way. So what happened that day? 
it's a crappy rainy day, early October, late September, early October. I'm battling the flu then. I had no business being out on the uh-huh. water that day. <laughs> I, I had zero energy. I remember sitting down on my front deck attempting to eat lunch. And then all of a sudden we see like the rod that's in the back of the boat. It starts bouncing around viciously. <laughs> but what was so messed up about it was we're drifting in over three feet of sand and our sucker was mostly dead. Yeah. <laughs> so like, what the hell? Okay, something must have taken our dead bait that was over the side of the boat. I grabbed the rod, boom, set the hook. Holy shit, it's a 51 and a half incher. We got it, got a couple pictures, and off she went. That was my first encounter with it. I, we had no business catching that fish, and that well, yeah. fish really had no business being in that area and even taking down a dead sucker. Lifeless live bait, live, live bait that was dead. Um, so I, I proved that theory that muskies, if it's a dead bait, and if they're it, really it, hungry, they'll eat it. It seems like sometimes like those like... Fish. It seems like sometimes the really, really, like especially giant fish, like don't follow the rules. Like, they yeah, they don't follow the guidelines like we are taught. They don't. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that 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 was my first encounter. The next encounter with the trophy giant, it happened in 2020. So just recently, two and a half years ago. Um, I had a day off from bass fishing and uh the date was the 10 year anniversary of when I caught my 51 <laughs> same exact date. I think it was September 29th or September 30th. Oh, that's my birthday. 10 years to the date. I had a day off and that morning I got on Facebook and I started chatting with friends. I'm like, guys, I got like the same weather and conditions that I had exactly 10 years ago on this date when I caught my first mega fish. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go fish some memories today, which I never do. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, first I like, I made a mistake when I left the cabin that morning. I did not make sure to check and see whether my starter battery was all charged up on, on my boat. You should so have figured out a way to get the. You should have figured out a yeah, way to get so, the flu too. Yeah. So as long as I had gas, I was okay. <laughs> I had. I, I didn't bother to check either of my two batteries, but um, you know, I got to the lake. It was late morning. Luckily, my my moon window. I had about an hour to spare, so I hit one spot didn't do shit. Then I decided, all right, I'm going to motor down across to the lake. This is the same lake where I pulled my 51 out of, by the way. Uh, but second spot, I'm working a top water across the shallow sandy flat with a bunch of ver- weed and plant varietals. Um, out of nowhere, this beast just shoots out from shallow water. Never <laughs> saw it coming with like 10 feet from the boat. Like I got my top water here, big fish. Came from right under it, smacked it. Um, quickest fight and battle that I've ever had. Um, easiest net job by far. But the fish mm. being so massive and huge in size, like it was, it was work to handle it and to make sure that she swam back. Because when you're by yourself and you're dealing with a 35 to 40 pound fish, like it's hard. It's hard on your body. Yeah. Uh, you instead of like a photo and video, you kind of have to over start thinking and over prioritizing. All right. Do I really need the, the, the you know, to document this mm-hmm. when I want that fish to swim back, but I kind of overdid it then. Um, but the fish swam back down. No problem. You know, we had our moment of glory. And then, uh, I, after I made that catch, that fish was about 35 to 40 pounds. I measured it 49 inches and 75 inches 0.75. So 49.75. 
Ah, uh, well, you know what? Uncommon. At least you have the integrity to say, it, yeah. you know, to call it like it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like normally, I round up to like the nearest tenth of an inch if mm. possible. But I'm like, all right, I'm gonna call it as I see it. Forty nine point seven five, and uh, that's what it measured. Um, and then after I made that catch, the fish swam off. I was laying in my boat like for an hour on the deck. I'm like, I have nothing <laughs> to accomplish anymore. My day's over. This is great. I don't have yeah. to fish anymore this year. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then once, once it, once the time came for me to move the boat and to get out of that spot, I, I try to turn the starter. Nothing was, nothing was clicking. Nothing was clicking. I'm like, uh. Oh shit. Oh shit. We drained the boat battery. The yeah. starter battery. You had to earn that one. There was <laughs> yeah, that, so, there's some sort yeah, of payment. So, yeah, so I'm like at the other end of the lake. You know, there's almost like a a mile difference between where I'm at to the boat landing, and I'm like, oh shit, what am I gonna do to get back now? But luckily, yeah. um, my trolling motor battery it was like mm-hmm. a dual purpose starter, deep cycle. So I moved that over to my big motor, connected it. I was able to get back to the landing. Um, so I avoid I avoided a calamity there. Um, but that, that was a memorable story. I was by myself. So unfortunately I couldn't have anyone else be there with me to share it with, with, but it was, it was pretty awesome. Just, just like you, when you're out there solo, yeah. you, know, you recently caught that exotic sturgeon out of a river oh, yeah. that, that was supposedly <laughs> to be extinct, you know, same type of situation. We're by ourselves, man. So like the moment, like, you know, the feeling that you had in reading with you and your sturgeon, that's kind of what I had with that mm-hmm. big ass musky. You know, I'm, I'm like, you know, yeah, I'm you're just done. You bear, yeah, you're hugging that fish while you're taking a photo with it and then put it back in the water, watch her swim away and regain her energy. So it was one of those deals. So, and then I've had other experiences with four footers, you know, 48 to 49 inch caliber fish. That's about top end in a lot of northern Wisconsin lakes nowadays. Uh, but you know, any, any muskie that's four foot and up, that's a pure trophy. Oh yeah. Um, they don't swim in every lake and you're not going to catch them every year, unfortunately, unless you're really good. And that's what your specialty is. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know, I don't know everything about muskies. So like compared to my friends who exclusively musky fish, their level of intellect is way up here. And then I'm like down below, like several levels below them. I don't remember who it was. There was a guy that I was like following a while back that had like made this long post about like people slashing each other's tires in the darkness of the night, like all oh, this crazy like infighting. I'm like, what the heck? Like those guys are just a different type yeah, of there's, like. There's 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 drama within the community for sure. <laughs> a few of them like that though, yeah. but I don't know when you chase a fish that's like a ghost so many countless hours during the year that just eludes you maybe it drives you a little bit crazy i don't know yeah but uh it can that's one that man i i really want to check that i had like got to a point where like i want to go catch one but for me like there for a little while anyway i was like i want to go but like it has to be like canada i'm like then i'm kind of getting to a point where like why am i making these like stipulations on myself like why am i gonna i'm making it even harder now yeah so but um but I don't know. I'm going to check a few different fish off the list. I think this year, maybe next year that might, maybe next year will be my year. I'll have to give you a buzz, but, uh, same with the smallmouth thing. Small, my brother, Matt stands. We've discussed it. The offer and invitation is yeah. there anytime. <laughs> I'd like to come up there for those big giant smallmouth. I envy like, Oh my gosh, the smallmouth you get my brother, actually my brother, Matt, he travels a lot to like Canada and stuff. He loves big smallmouth. 
he'd probably be down for a trip like that. Like the two of us could get together for for cool. something like that because I don't know. He wouldn't want me to go catch a giant smallmouth without him. That's like that's like yeah. his that's like his thing. That's his jam. That's yeah. Cool. He never wanted to go do the alligator gar thing, but like he'll go all over the country, all over the continent for different kinds of bass. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't know your ba- your brother Matt was a, like a bass angler. Like I know Travis yeah. joins you for like all the exotic stuff. Yeah. Like, when he has an opportunity. Travis will do the crazy stuff. Matt has yeah. gone to Mexico, California, out here to Florida, up to Canada. He's gone all over to catch all kinds of different bass, smallmouth, largemouth. Yeah, he loves That's that cool. stuff. So we'll we'll get together and do that stuff. He's you know he he's does he does other stuff as well, but you know I think I don't know you know that's how we started fishing when we were kids. Like they would take me. I mean that's pretty much everybody's the bass fishing, but uh, yeah. but man, those oh, smallmouth, yeah. geez, and I've caught smallmouth in like I've you know what's funny is I caught them in like four different states. Granted, I was living in an area where all four states are like together. Yeah. Um, in Arkansas, it was like I lived in the corner of Arkansas, where it's like. Arkansas, Oklahoma. You got picked yeah. right there in Alabama, yeah. right? It's all border water. <laughs> I went to Missouri. Or maybe it's only three states. Yeah, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Missouri, I think is the only mm-hmm. places that, that I've done it. Um, but they were never those, not even remotely close to what, what you're catching. So well, back in the day, that was the Mecca of smallmouth fishing. Like where you where that's that's the territory where the former world records were caught at. Mm-hmm. You know, Pickwick, Dale Hollow. You know, that's, that's the region. Yeah. But, but it's, it's changing now, you know, big, the biggest smallmouth in the world. Now they're residing in the great lakes. So like you mm-hmm. have a shot at a mega fish in Lake Michigan, Lake Huron, Erie and Ontario. And then, you know, the St. Lawrence. That's, now there's, that's so the, now there's like a whole other world opening up now with this whole live scope stuff. Are you running any of that on your boat? Absolutely not. I've, I've, I've thought about it just to have the transducer as like an insurance policy and also just to learn in real time and see how the fish are just behaving and interacting with our baits underwater. You know, I, how I, if I can see it in real time, yeah. but you know, fishing where I'm at, I have not needed live imaging or any of that to rely on. I don't want to rely on it. I still want to rely on my intellect and everything that I've learned along the way. Um, I, I just want to do it the old fashioned way, the way fishing was meant to be. Uh, but I, I do have the electronics that is compatible with it. You know, I run the highest on Lowrance units, the HDS 12 lives in my boat. So, you know, if I wanted that transducer, which is only like 1500 bucks, I can mount it to my boat, but do I really want to use it and rely on it? No, I just, it's not the way I was brought up to fish, not the way yeah. I grew up. And, you know, I, I have i've never needed it yeah that one's kind of weird I, I mean i've never well i've obviously never used it i do too much shallow water fishing but the uh yeah but i know when it's you're kinda... deep and offshore that, that it's a valuable tool it can be incredible yeah. but what pisses me off though is like you know i've learned a lot of my lakes over the course of several years back in the day i only had a 14 foot aluminum boat with a 10 horse motor on it yeah and my mode of technology was paper maps so we're going back to like the mid to late 1990s that's all i had growing up and then obviously you make more money you know you're more successful in life you can finally start affording all these high-end technologies and you know just just it doesn't coincide and align with my upbringing and fishing really but what really pisses me off, though, is I learned lakes the old-fashioned way. 
paper map and just using my brain and memorization of areas and spots and, you know, remembering fish that I catch over the years. Whereas, you know, I put in 20 years worth of time on a specific lake. Nowadays, mm -hmm. newbies and newcomers, they're coming to my same water. They're learning a huge, you know, three to 4,000 acre lake within two hours, just because they have that live imaging and technology. Yeah. So stuff like that, like, you know, it pisses me off. You know, I put in the work and then there's these guys, you know, destination anglers or people seeking a hot bite. They've got these technologies and they're able to figure it out within two hours, erasing the need to spend time anywhere. Like, you know, you and I and everyone else doing it the old yeah. fashioned way relied on. So stuff like that. I don't like, and then, um, there's, there's days on the water where I know that like, you know, we have no shot competing against guys who have the live imaging on their boats. You know, they're able to adjust on the fly. Whereas me and my boat, the way we have it rigged and the way we operate, you know, we might not figure it out until a couple hours. Whereas these guys, they're able to make an adjustment within a minute and then they're back on the fish then. So stuff yeah, like that's... that, like you can't compete with, unfortunately. It seems like every time you think that you've kind of like, I don't know, like fishing technology has like gotten to, I don't want to say as far as it can go. It's like, oh my gosh, what the hell is going to be next? Like if you're yeah. literally like you know. can live look at the fish eating your lure, like right in front of you. It's like, well, like, I'm I, like how much I, more I, I can do. you do? Yeah. Like one of my theories of what will happen next, like they're going to concoct some type of an x-ray imaging where you can just scan off your unit like it creates like a scan of like the entire lake bottom it'll be produced on your screen and then you'll be able to see every single little goggles on weed bed. <laughs> yeah yeah you'll be able to zoom in on every piece of structure that that x-ray yeah. scan completes and then you'll be able to find and figure out where the fish are at i think right i think something like that might be next but that's that's taking it to an extreme man yeah. They're erasing the fun of fishing the way it was meant to be in my opinion unfortunately i don't want to be an elitist and you know, I'm not totally against the concept of live imaging, but when you're over sure. relying on it and when it's shaping every single decision that you're making on the water, that's bad. Like, what are you going to do when you're without that technology? Say you're jumping into a buddy's boat who doesn't have that technology. Like your fishing is going to suffer. If yeah. You become too oh, no doubt. Because that's like that's where it's going crazy down there is on that Texas lake. Uh, the OHIV bass are coming out and all these records are getting broken. You can like pick which fish you want to cast to. It's like, man, that's wild. But, yeah, um, yeah. And that's how guys are catching their massive fish, you know, giant largemouth and like yeah. world record size smallmouth. Everyone has that live imaging now. Yeah, and I think nowhere to hide, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. It's not even out in the middle, like where they're like, like finding them out in the middle of the lake. It's yeah. so crazy. That's a yeah. totally different world for me. I've never like, I don't know, man. Like if I, if you and I went fishing, I think I'd learn so much. Cause I don't know the first thing about using electronics. I've always been a shallow water angler. Once I get into deep water, I have no idea what I'm doing. So I think and it, and I imagine that that's probably a big part of what you do as a guide is probably, you know, you're teaching them a little bit about the fishing itself, but surely a lot of the guys are wanting to learn how to like i don't know dial in or like yeah, fine-tune their electronics yeah, yeah yeah so like i run lorances so like often if i have guys who are interested in a specific lorance product i'm not sponsored by the way with them i kind of wish i did just because of all the instructional stuff that i've been doing out of my boat and then with other people who read my yeah. stuff but <laughs> like what i like every day like 
you know, I, I, on my, on my Ranger, we keep three screens, one at the bow. I got two at this on my main console that I use two dual screens. And, you know, every day, like I'm, I'm telling, I'm showing people how to interpret what's on the side imaging or down imaging. So, you know, I, I can differentiate between fish species that show up on the side imaging. Um, with, you know, all the different weeds, the different bottom composition, the various forms of structure, like I can pick that all apart. I can show people exactly, you know, this is what we're fishing and this is what it is. And another cool thing about these electronics is all the, all the unique bait fish that it can find for you too. Mm. You know, that's, that's one of the coolest things. So like on a lot of our lakes, we have a lot of pelagic bait fish species, you know, various minnows, shiners. Um, we've got smelt, cisco. And one of the coolest things about side imaging is it can pick apart all that bait too, and it can find it too. Yeah. And, you know, that, that puts you in range with, you know, in, in, in a likely range of where there could be feeding fish. If you can find the bait, be able to differentiate between it and odds are going to be in your favor then. Yeah. All that but stuff. Yeah. Like each day, like even when I'm at the wheel driving the boat, like I'm always idling around, my head is buried into these screens, you know, yeah. <laughs> not only am I doing fishing from the back end of the boat and trying to put people on fish, but I'm also looking at these screens you know, an equal amount of time trying to find fish, you know, trying to put us on the right spots that we have to be too. And, you know, the, the, just having side imaging and down imaging, regular chirp sonar and having good charts on your screens too. That's all invaluable. Like I, you know, I, I rely on that stuff, but I'm, you know, when it comes to that live imaging, you don't really need it. Yeah. Well, you, even the electronics that you're using, that's like a whole other skill set to learn. Cause I mean, I've yeah. been in boats where people had it and I'm like, I'm looking at the screen. I'm like, I don't see, yeah, don't I don't see know what I'm see. looking at. Yeah, exactly. But, but yeah, man. Uh, anyway, um, I love watching what you're doing. I think it's <laughs> awesome that you stayed in it. And, and I, I think it's awesome that you found a way to make money off of like what you're passionate yeah, about. I, I gotta say it's, it's not easy. It's actually hard. No, no, yeah. If you have like a primary career and then you have an opportunity to expand on that, explore different avenues and try to pursue your passion, it can hopefully lead to something. And that that's always been my goal. Like, you know, not everyone's going to turn into a fishing celebrity. I, I, I still treat myself. I'm, I'm a known, I'm a nobody. I'm a no namer. But maybe when I'm 70 to 80 years old, people are going to know who I am when my time comes, my expiration date comes. But, you know, it's you, you can't you can't treat it as a way to become a celebrity. It just doesn't. Happen. Yeah, that's that's the thing. That's that's where YouTube and mm -hmm. Instagram are. Pardon my language. That's where it's really fucking up a lot of people yeah. right now. That's, big time that's making the whole industry I, very oversaturated. I think if that is your goal. I don't know, man. That's like an unhealthy place yeah, to be like mindset is. wise. Yeah. If things happen organically, <clears throat> great. That's cool. But if yeah. it gets to a point where people like, I don't know. And I think too, when people are like chasing that out of like desperation, cause they don't have anything else. It's like, I don't know, man, you're going to make some like reckless, <clears throat> excuse me, yeah, reckless no, life decisions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you nailed it. Like you and I, like it's all organic, really. That's, that's how you'll gain your following. Just, doing what you're doing, just have, have one platform to put it all out there, you know, have yeah. a website or, you know, start a little side gig and just like what I did. And then it just grows and cultivates organically. Mine's always just kind of been a hobby it, for me. Like I said, I've got a, a, a job outside of this that pays well and I live very comfortably. Oh, yeah. So I'm totally happy 
but it's always also like obviously i kind of most of my fishing has been a different type of thing where it's like uh, i don't know i wouldn't even call it unconventional especially nowadays it's like people have sort of embraced a lot of the fish that i chase but it's also oh, like yeah. i don't know you'll you kind of feel like you have a cause when you're writing about certain fish that you do at least in the past had a lot more detractors i don't know man it's like i guess Maybe if there's a silver lining to social media, like you yeah, people, never if people saw. Find your fish, yeah, if people find <laughs> your fish to be so badass, like you can get all kinds of liter literary works entered into magazines and publishing platforms, and even uh, yeah. on television too. Well, you see way more people doing it now, and I yeah, think that's because infatuated with them. So that that side of it's cool. So. Anyway, man, I don't know. I, I, I'm I glad I got to get you on here. You and I have a bunch oh, of history. You. I know we've been able to like meet other people through one another. Yeah, one we've of, met a lot of mutual friends through one of know, which our... was one of which was Pat, which was kind of like a special one to yeah. me. Um, Rest in peace, Pat. Yeah, I'm so glad that you, I don't know, sort of introduced us. I mean, we met through your site and I got I was very fortunate to to get to have some awesome time with him on the water. Uh, yeah. before he you know passed but you know that's one of those guys it's like man I, that dude had like i mean we fished a few times together he had like a big impact on me and that was yeah, a relationship he a, that he was had a million stories too that oh my god his stories are incredible him. his his yeah. stories were so great that was a dude i have not met many people on the same type of wavelength of just being like i don't know like we're like authentically happy with life than that dude it was like it was like it would it took me back i was like this guy like actually loves fishing like this guy yeah. actually loves what we're doing right now and so that and was despite cool despite all the shit that life threw his way he just kept trucking on like it was nothing that was, was crazy the impressive part yeah about it. yeah that was just an impactful person to meet and it's just cool that it happened because of like where you and i met it's like you know it's always interesting where these things sort of branch out yeah. but but uh but yeah, man. So I know we've we've taken time to talk about these giant smallmouth bass that you catch. Um, some of the services even that you provide that aren't fishing wise. I know that there's we're getting to that point where maybe people might be more interested in building their own website, having their own sort of portfolio. But um, right. the services you provide on that end, the services you provide as a fishing guide, any of those sorts of things. Like, where can people find you? Websites, socials, things like that. So my, I guess. I'll, I'll direct people to my two main websites. So for fishing purposes, northwoodsbass.com, all one word, Northwoods Bass. Um, that's where you'll find information on my guide service. And each month I produce a massive newsletter that's growing in popularity. And I also publish a lot of articles throughout the year. Um, so you can find all that information, all the good stuff to read through at northwoodsbass.com. And then all my website stuff. So uh, for the last 20 years or so, I've had my own website building company. Um, it's my last name, Ragus, with the word media attached to it. So ragusmedia.com. You can find information on all the website-related projects and all, all that tech, technological stuff that I do for my real day job at ragusmedia.com. And then I also write for Midwest Outdoors Magazine. So each month I have an article published and they do a pretty good job of utilizing all my content for their uh, big platform. Well, I can, I can speak to your credibility on a lot of those things firsthand because your website building is awesome. You see, you're like, you're like a very well-rounded guy with the media stuff, 
the guiding, the fishing, the riding, the instructional tutorials. You've clearly got a mind for detail. You've got that massive notebook of a lifetime of experience. If the house ever catches fire, you know, yeah, you I'm better gonna lose run a lot back of information. In <laughs> run yeah, back no, into what, the what, fire yeah, for that thing. You know, I'm going to close <laughs> it here because a lot of people tell me that I, I, I seem to reveal and give away far too many information, but if I'm not providing information and teaching mm-hmm. people, then I'm not doing my job very well as a guide. Yeah. So that's the one thing. If you're a fishing educator, you have to deliver that knowledge and information to people, whether it's for free or for, you know, getting yeah. paid for, uh, for making a living off of it. A hundred percent. I don't know, man. I, I feel like when people come to me, I can usually tell if people come to me like earnestly seeking knowledge, like they want to experience something new. Um, you know, who, who better than, than you or who, who better than me? Like, if not you, then who to fill that person, like, or send them on the right track. Cause I don't know, they could just go watch a YouTube video and fish with gummy worms oh, yeah. instead. Who knows? So, right. but Andrew, it was great having you on here and I appreciate your pleasure, time. David. Yeah, man. We'll be in touch for sure. Thank you for listening to the boundless pursuit podcast. If you enjoyed this show, your feedback, comments, and reviews are very important to me. Also, this podcast is just one element to a much bigger content outlet. I urge you to head over to www.haverodswilltravel.com where you'll find audio, visual, and written editorial content. That is three dimensions of awesome fishing content brought to you by a very dynamic team of anglers. I hope that you'll tune in next week as we continue to build this program and have interesting and skilled anglers each Thursday. Thank you for listening.